0: know and do the will of God, all right? How to know and do the will of God. Does anyone here want to know the will of God for their life? Would you raise your hand? You want to know the will of God for your life? Yeah, all of our hands should go up, right? That's obviously something that we want to know. We want to know what God has for us and His will. Um, you know, we uh, just had the opportunity to make a return visit to Pittsburgh. Many of you know, we, uh, we lived in Pittsburgh for five years and started a church, uh, up there. And I pastored, uh, there for a few years and, uh, we helped another church plant in the city and, uh, just made a lot of good friends while we were there. And, um, uh, we, we, we enjoyed it. Uh, Leslie will tell you, and I kind of have the same feeling. It never quite felt like home to us. Uh, But God did a work in our hearts, and uh, we learned so much through that whole process. And uh, like I said, we made some good friends. So we had the opportunity to go back. We wanted to go back, when we wanted to take our boys, uh, because it's been almost 10 years since we've been there. And so uh, if any of you have been to Pittsburgh, and of course Eric's not here, he would would tell you, uh, it is a very confusing place to get around. Uh, It's constantly under construction. Whoever drew the the road systems, and it's just crazy. It's hard to get around. Uh, But of course, you know I'm a man, and uh, I know directions, and I know how to get around. I lived there for five years, right? So when we went back to visit, I didn't need a GPS. I I knew. I knew where everything was. I knew where we used to live, and and I knew where the church was, and the routes to get there, and all that. So we were there with our boys, and, and we wanted to show them the sights. And so we went to our first house, and we got there, and hey, this is where we used to live, and Then uh, I said, okay, let's go to Cranberry, which is where we started the church. So let's take this route. I remember going this way, and uh, I think it's a quicker way to go. And so we started going. We started going down the road there. We got probably 10, 15 minutes into the trip. And I quickly realized I had no idea where I was. Okay, I'd never been there before, I'd never seen this place. Uh, And I had to confess hey, uh, I'm lost, okay? Well, you turn the GPS on. And, uh, of course, by then it was too, it was too late. Uh, we had to get on the turnpike, which you avoid because it's a toll. And uh, so we get on the turnpike, and it's one of these where it doesn't accept money. It just takes a picture of your license plate, and they send you a bill later. So we get on the turnpike, and we go, and I missed the turn on the turnpike. So we have to get off the turnpike, get back on the turnpike, go back the other way. And so uh, we finally got to where we were going. A couple weeks later, I get a bill in the mail. Uh, for all these toll charges, right? And so uh, it's just uh, interesting sometimes. Uh, and I think about that, you know, we've all made wrong turns in life. Uh, we've all uh, gone the wrong way. We've all been lost uh, probably a time or two. And it's one thing to take a wrong turn in a car because it's easy to retrace your steps. And it's easy, thank, thank the Lord for GPS, uh, to be able to use that and to get us back to where we need to be. Uh, But it's a different thing altogether to take a wrong turn in life. Uh, This is something where, you know, there are repercussions uh, for our actions when we make a wrong turn. So, the question that we're going to ask uh, this morning and hopefully answer is this How do I know I'm going the right way? Uh, How do I know the will of God for my life? How do I know if I'm on the right path? How do I know for sure that I'm really following His will? And I want to give you go ahead and give you a spoiler alert, okay? If we want to know the will of God, we have to get into the Word of God, all right? So God's will is in His Word. That's where we find God's will. Uh, This is why you'll hear me say all the time, we need to get into the Word until what? The Word gets into you. It's so important. That's not just a cute saying. It's not just a motto. I've really taken that as the mantra of my life because I really do believe this. That when we get into the Word, the Word of God will begin to do the work. And we'll do a work in our lives. So Colossians chapter 1, uh, Paul is writing here. We see in the first eight verses that he's beginning this prayer for these believers. And it's a great prayer if you want to go back and read it sometime. And uh, we pick it up here in, in verse 9 where we're going to start. And we're going to see how that the, that knowledge is transmitted into... Spiritual wisdom and understanding. So basically, Paul's going to show us that what we believe translates to how we live. All right, so Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. The Bible says this, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. There it is. We want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we just thank you so much that we have the word of God. And uh, I'm thankful for the difference that it's made in my life. Not just in my life, but just thinking back to generations. Just the generational change. And being able to to grow up in a Christian home where the Bible was read. And they got that from their parents. And now we're trying to pass that along to our kids. And uh, Lord, we love the Bible. And I'm so thankful for it. And we pray that you would help us as we unpack these verses. Lord, you have something for us. I believe that. And uh, there's something that you want us to know. And so uh, I pray that you would take away the distractions. God, help me not to be a distraction. But I pray that your word would do its work in our hearts. And uh, Lord, that we would be obedient to you. For it's in the Lord Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right. So I want to give you two insights uh, here in this passage. And it all has to do with a life of obedience to God. You know, that's really what God expects from us. In fact, if you look at the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples and we're to baptize and then we're to do what? Observe, right? To observe or to obey, to do everything that's, that's uh, commanded us. And so he really expects us, I believe, to live an obedient life. So we see two things here about the, a life of obedience. First of all, we see the expectation of, of an obedient life. all right. Just the expectation of an obedient life. Paul assumes here that we're going to live a life that's pleasing to God. This is an assumption that he makes about believers. They are going to be followers of God. They're going to live lives that please Him. An obedient life. And what he shows us is that this is the outflow of a relationship with God. It all starts there. Now notice what he says in the text. He says that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will, and all wisdom, and spiritual understanding. So there we see God's will. Now, normally when we hear about the will of God, and that's something that's often talked about uh, in the Christian life, is what is the will of God for my life? Uh, Do we think past, present, or future? Someone says, I want to know the will of God. Do we think past, present, or future, typically? Audience participation. Past, present, or future. Steve's back there saying future. Okay, future, right? When we think about the will of God, we typically think about what does God uh, have for me in the future? Because we all want to know these big questions in life. Where are we going to live? Who are we going to marry? Where am I going to go to college? Uh, What am I going to do for a profession? Uh, You know, where are we going to take our family? So so it's these big questions of where, where, what, what. What are we going to do? What is God's? Uh, will. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. And that's definitely part of it. But the problem with only thinking personally uh, about the will of God is, is that we tend to reduce uh, God to a genie uh, where we just kind of rub a lamp and, you know, he gives us what we want. Like, God, would you approve of my plans? Have you ever been there? Have been. I found myself there many times where I rush ahead of God and I have these ideas for ministry or whatever. And, And it's almost like my prayer is not, God, what do you want? But, God, would you approve of what I already have planned here? I've laid this all out. I've thought this all through. And, God, I just want your stamp of approval. Will will you just let me do this? And that's oftentimes our prayer. God, would you bless my ideas? But when was the last time that you went to God without an agenda of your own and simply said, God, what do you have for me? What is it that you want to do in my life? I have no agenda. I, 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 God, what do you want? Now, that seems like a dangerous prayer to pray. And, you know, depending on how you look at it, that can be. Okay, it can be because it could disrupt our lives. It could d- disrupt what we're comfortable with, what we're used to. So that can be a dangerous prayer to pray. God, what, what is it that you want? What do you want me to do? But when was the last time we did that? God, I have no agenda, no laundry list here for you to bless. This is all I want. Put on my heart the things that matter to you. Wouldn't that be just a great prayer for all of us to pray? Just to come to him, just humble and open. God, I have no plans. God, I want you to put on my heart. What is it that you want? What what am I supposed to be about? And uh, so that's a that's a prayer. And Paul shows us here that the more we get into the word and the more we develop this relationship with God, he says we're going to increase in the knowledge of his will, which two things happen. He says here in this passage, we are going to have biblical wisdom and we're going to have spiritual understanding. Okay, so let me try to unpack those two words here in our text when he talks about wisdom He's not talking about just secular wisdom. He's not talking about just intellect, okay, just knowledge. That's not what he's talking about. Because uh, I think that's oftentimes what we think about in the world. If you want to be wise, you have to learn something. That's partly true, but not not quite. Biblical wisdom, I believe, has to do more with skill than it does with intellect. Uh, and you say, well, where do you get that idea? Well, You know, the Bible speaks to it in other places, but Exodus chapter 31. I want to show you this word wisdom here in the context of building the tabernacle. Okay, so in Exodus 31, God has the Israelites in the wilderness. God has given them, just given them the plans to uh, build the tabernacle and all the parameters there and, and, and the furniture. And then he says, okay, this is how it's going to happen. Okay, because the question was, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to accomplish this? Here's how it's going to happen. Exodus chapter 31 and verse 3, the Bible says this. He says, I have filled him with the spirit of God. Okay, so this is what God does. He says, I've filled him with the spirit of God. And as a result, I have given them, okay, what's it say? Wisdom and understanding and a knowledge and an all manner of workmanship. Okay, so so here's what God is showing us. Wisdom is a skill that people possess. Okay, now people have different skills. We know, you know, some people can take wood and they can build a table or uh, they can even build an entire house, okay, a building. And that's the kind of wisdom that he's talking about. We're going to have wisdom as a result of studying the Bible where we can take the the pieces of our life and, and just all the elements of our life. And we look at all the circumstances of life. We can take all of these things and piece them together and we can truly live a life that honors and pleases God. That's what it means to be wise in the Bible. That's why it says in Proverbs uh, 4, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Okay, so it, it also means, here's, a, here, here's another thing about wisdom. Wisdom is this idea where you'll have the ability to catalog uh, principles of Scripture in the Bible. Okay, so, uh, you know, if you're in the habit of reading your Bible, you'll come across a command or you'll come across a principle. Uh, the Bible says that when you have this wisdom, you're able to catalog these things and, and to, to piece these things together with what God is, is, is trying to do. So, so, so wisdom, we would say, flows to understanding. Uh, here's a practical way to say it. What you believe leads to how you live. Okay, very a very simple principle. What you believe, it leads to how you live. And so they're interconnected. And, and what he's talking about is this. When you get in the Word, he says you're going to start bearing fruit. When you get into the Bible, you're going to start doing what you're really supposed to be doing. Right? You're going to bear fruit. And it's all a result of knowing the Word. You see, the will of God, I believe, is found in the Word of God. But if you're like me... At times in my own life, my Bible reading gets crowded. It gets crowded out with so many other things, uh, even good things, okay? Uh, I know that I have fallen into the, the trap of reading good books about the Bible. And I like to read, and I think reading is important. I think we should read. We should read books about the Bible. But early on, what what I was trying to justify is that, you know what, I don't need to read the Bible because I'm reading all these books about the Bible, right? And I, I, I started to get this idea that, okay, I don't need to maybe read the Bible so much because I'm reading all these other supplemental um, materials. And God really convicted me about that. When I thought about discipleship, when I disciple others and meet one-on-one, I thought I always thought about a curriculum. You know, what kind of book can I take them through? Uh, what kind of study can 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 we go through and, and those things are helpful, and those things have their place okay it 's not bad to do a book study it 's not bad to read a christian biography those things aren't aren 't bad those are actually good things. but what God challenged me with is this don 't just read books about the Bible and neglect time reading about what I have for you in the Bible that you really need to have a time in the word yourself you don 't need to be reading. Just what other people think about the Bible or other people's interpretation about the Bible. Because God is saying, I have things for you. I have things for you in the Bible. And so uh, we need to have our own personal uh, time with, with the Lord and not neglect that. And here's what I want us to understand. As a Christian, we never graduate from the Bible. Right? We never graduate from it. So we get into the Word until the Word gets into us. But here's the thing. We know this. Just because we read the Bible... And just because we can quote the Bible, it doesn't uh, equate to obeying the Bible, right? Uh, there are people we know who can quote a lot of scripture, and they know the Bible, and they read the Bible, and they're still jerks. We know people like that. Uh, we They come to church every Sunday, and I don't have anyone in mind, I promise, okay? But they come to church every Sunday, and uh, they sit in life group, and they sit under the preaching every week, but they're still like, there's, there's something missing there, right? They're just not obedient to the word. I think Jesus obviously came into contact with people like that, called the Pharisees, right? These are people who knew the Bible, uh, but they weren't uh, quite obedient to the Bible the way they should have been. They had their own inter- interpretations. And Jesus said, even in Scripture, you know the right words, but your hearts are far from me. Uh, Warren Wearsby, a great—I uh, love reading after Warren Wearsby and I have most of his books in my office— he said this, He says, "In my pastoral ministry, I have met people who have become intoxicated with studying the deeper truths of the Bible. Usually, they've been given a book or introduced to some teachers' tapes, whatever tape is, I don't know what that is. Uh, before long, they get so smart, they become dumb. The deeper truths they discover only detour them from practical Christian living. Instead of getting burning hearts of devotion to Christ, they get big heads and start creating problems. In their homes and churches, I thought that was a good good quote. Uh, listen, never never let it be said about us that we become so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. Uh, have you ever been around someone like that? They can dissect a passage and they can talk about soteriology and the sovereignty of God, and they can you know parse Greek verbs. And but the challenge is they're doing very little for God. You know, you ask them when was the last time you shared Christ with someone. When when was the last time you you really invested in someone? So don't let us become so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. Number two is this. Not only do we see the expectation of an obedient life. So when we get in the word, the the outflow of that is going to be an obedient life where we're going to grow in wisdom. We're going to grow in understanding. But number two, the effects of an obedient life. Okay? So not just the expectation of an obedient life, but what are the effects of an obedient life? Uh, so, when you and I get into the Word and, and we begin to grow in wisdom, we begin to grow in understanding. We begin to have this ability uh, to catalog principles and apply them. This is what's going to happen. Okay, these I believe three things are going to happen. Paul shows us here in verse ten, Colossians one ten, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Now, again, does anyone want to please the Lord today? I do. I want to please him. This is how we do it. He says, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So here are three things that will happen when we obey. All right, let me give you the first one. He says, you will produce the fruit of good works. All right, you're going to produce the fruit of good works. And what I mean is, is the life that you now live. Okay, this is the life that we're living as a result of obeying the Lord and having a time in his word, this is, my li- this is what my life is going to look like. I'm going to produce these good works. Now, we don't manufacture that, right? We do not manufacture fruit in our life. We can't go out and we, we can't produce fruit. But what we can do is we can un- align ourselves in an environment where God can do a work in us so that he can do a work through us. All right, you know the principle, you know this passage, John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5 says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can, ye can do some things. Is that what it says? Without me you can, you can do some things. Is that what it says? No, without me, you can do what? Nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. And in and of ourselves, we can do nothing. And that's such a, a concept to grasp. We can do nothing in and of ourselves to please God. But if we yield to the Lord, what happens is he begins to work in us. And then he starts to work through us. Okay, it's all about him. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, verse 16 and 18. He says, you shall know them by their fruits. Okay, so this is their lifestyle. This is the way they live. This is how we know that they know God, by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Here's what he's saying. Do you pick oranges from apple trees? No, that's not how it works. Even so, every good tree... Bringeth forth good fruit. What's he saying? Every Christian will do Christian things. Right? Every Christian is going to do Christian things. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. And this is, again, Jesus speaking here. And here's what he's saying. The root of your heart... Will be manifested in the fruit of your life, all right the root of your heart is going to be manifested in the fruit of your life if you do not have good fruit in your life, you need to go back and inspect the root right what, what am I rooted in what am I believing? Uh, Jesus uses so many agricultural uh, analogies all through scripture, and we we see this all throughout the bible he 's always using trees and Vineyards and animals and livestock and fruit and farming and and uh, seeds and all of these things. And when I think about our own spiritual life, you know, our own spiritual life is like a garden. Uh, we can think of our lives as a, as as a garden, and we're all tending the garden, or at least we should be tending our garden. Now, how many of you like to do uh, work in the yard? You like to garden? Would you raise your hand? You like to do work in the yard? You enjoy that? Not very many. All right. I, I enjoy working in the yard. Um, but I'm sure we all have that neighbor on our street who neglects their lawn. Uh, you know, the grass is never cut and the hedges are never trimmed. And you say, "That's I have a street like that. And if you don't, maybe maybe you're that neighbor. Okay, maybe uh, we go by your house and your lawn is unkept and uh, maybe that's you. But the lawn never gets cut. The weeds are out of control. And, and really, when you think about it, it's just an eyesore to the whole neighborhood. Uh, we have we have a house uh, like that, a few houses down from us. And, I mean, they just let it go. I mean, they just, I, I don't know if I've ever seen him. We've lived there for, what, four or five years now. I don't know if I've ever seen them mow their grass. Uh, so I've gone over there a few times and cut it for him I don't know who lives there. I don't think I've ever seen the guy. Maybe it's. I know it's not abandoned because I see him pulling their driveway. But um, I've gone over there to, to to cut his grass before, just because it's so so out of control. But uh, it's an eyesore. It takes a lot of work to have a nice lawn, right? It does. It takes a lot of work. You have to cut the grass. You got to pull the weeds. You got to fertilize. You have to water the grass, and it's just it's just a big a big deal. No one likes an, untended, an unattended uh, yard in the neighborhood. Why? Because it's an eyesore to the community. Now, some of you, if your life is like a garden, some of you, by the way you live, may be an eyesore to the community. Uh, maybe you haven't been tending your spiritual garden uh, like you're supposed to. Maybe you haven't been... Uh, spending time in the word like you should, and you haven't been praying and, and and you just haven't been digesting and meditating and, and growing in Christ. And so maybe there are some things in your life that you need to give attention to. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't just let a garden grow. You have to give attention to it, right? So if our lives are like a garden, then maybe there are some things that we do need to give attention to. Uh, what if you, you and I had the same passion to see our spiritual lives grow And and put the same amount of effort into our spiritual lives as we do other things that maybe we're passionate about. You know, some of us are really passionate about sports and uh, maybe we have a hobby or maybe it's a relationship. You know, you're really passionate about your spouse and that's a good thing. But what if uh, we were as passionate about our relationship with Christ as we are to some of those things really that, quite frankly, they're just going to end. Right? There's, There's an end to them. Uh, we should not neglect our spiritual lives because there's an eternal significance there. So what if we put the same amount of energy into our spiritual growth as we do in trying to maybe advance our career? What if we were as concerned about our spiritual lives as we are about maybe how we look or about how our kids look uh, or the kind of achievements and things that we have in this world? What Paul's saying is this. A life that gets into the Word... Until the word gets into them, the outflow of that is that you're going to bear fruit, and you're going to give this wonderful picture, okay, to the world of the gospel, and uh, that's of course what we want to do. Number two is is this: uh, not only are we going to bear fruit, but number two, we're going to increase in knowledge. Okay, so he says we're going to produce the fruit of good works, but we're also going to increase in knowledge. Now, don't miss this. I think. You know, one of the things that we've bought into uh, is this faulty idea of how we grow. Uh, We've been taught in our Western culture, okay, this is a very American uh, way to think. Of course, we are Americans, and this is how we learn to think. Uh, That we grow through transfer of information, okay? It's all about just transferring information. This is how we grow. Uh, So, for example, if you come to another sermon... You're going to be mature, or if you go to another conference or another seminar, uh, you're going to get more information. Maybe you go and get another degree. You go to another Bible study, uh, then that equates to maturity. Okay, and that's kind of the way we look at it sometimes. The problem is, again, you and I both know people who can quote Scripture; they they can fill in every blank, and yet they're very far from God. Uh, They may not even know the Lord. Uh, we know people like that. So what we've done is we have wrongly associated attendance with maturity. Uh, we've as- associated in our church that longevity in a church equals maturity. As a matter of fact, some churches even, that's how they choose their deacons. And, and I'm not saying we do that here because you know our deacons and they're men of character. But, uh, you know, some, some churches would say, you know, hey, Joe's been here for, for 20 years, He'd be a good candidate. Well, have you seen the way Joe lives? Uh, how, does he, how does he treat his wife? Uh, or, hey, he tithes. Yeah, but he's a pagan. Uh, so this is, not the, this is not the criteria of which we should choose leadership in our churches. But I'm afraid it happens that way many times, and it's a very Western way to do it. Or sometimes we do that. We go from one sermon to the next without ever really unpacking it and, and, and discussing it with other people. We just want the information. So we go to Bible study after Bible study or we go to sermon after sermon. And we never really have things in place to where we can uh, really figure out, okay, how, how do we apply these truths? Like what does this sermon mean for me? Uh, what am I, how, how am I going to change because of what I just heard? And so we have to be uh, really careful about just this idea of transferring uh, information. That's not the way Jesus taught his disciples. And that's not the, the way the Eastern culture learned. They learned very differently. They learned not through transfer of information, but they learned through repetition and reiteration. Okay? So a very different way to think about it. Uh, so how are we applying what we're hearing every Sunday? Knowledge without application is useless information. All right, let me say that again. Knowledge without application is really useless information. Uh, it's maybe great information, but is it, is it really helping you? Uh, do we have, again, do we have systems in place where we're applying it? Here's a quote by Dave Browning. I think it sums this up well. Here's what he said, the problem in the Christian life is not the gap between what we know and what we don't know. It's the gap between what we know and what we do. All right, and he continues to say this, the problem with the church is that we have become educated beyond our obedience. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it's really not the things in the Bible that I don't know that I that I that I really struggle with. Where what for me, it's, it's, it's coming to grips with the things in the Bible I do know. But I'm not doing them. Or like I know these things. The Bible says don't lust, don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal. The, these are the things that, that we have to live out in our life. And so what Paul says is when you get in the Word and, and you're a student of the Word and you apply the Word, you're going to grow in wisdom. You're going to grow in understanding. And the byproduct of that is that you're going to bear fruit. You're going to increase in knowledge. Uh, number three, he says, you're going to be strengthened by the power of God. Okay, you're go- th- this, isn't, this isn't all on you, okay? But you're, God is going to help you. God is going to strengthen you. So let me ask you this. Do you see the power of God in your life? Now, don't answer it out loud, but just think about this question. Do you see the power of God in your life? And uh, that's kind of an interesting question because, really, it's very open. It's very broad. Uh, it would come down to, really, how, how do you define the power of God, right? What what, are, what am I really asking? Uh, you know, normally, I think most of us, most people would maybe say no to that, that question. I don't really see God's power in my life, particularly. Uh, I mean, I come to church and... But I, I wouldn't say I see the power of God in my life because normally when we think of, uh, of, of power, the power of God, we think of miraculous things that God does, like really big things that God does, right? Like the dead being raised. Well, you know, we haven't seen that. Or uh, the, the lamb being healed or the blind getting sight or, you know, 3,000 people getting saved. We would say we haven't seen things of that nature, and so, yeah, we 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 maybe would say I, I haven't seen the power of God, but that this is not how Paul defines the power of God here in this passage. Watch what Paul says here, Colossians one verse eleven and twelve. He says, "Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power." Okay, so that that's what he's saying. So he he gives us power for what? He gives us his power. He gives us strength so that, look. <laughs> We have patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Okay, patience and long-suffering. Now, I don't know about you, but seeking patience is not really joyful for me. Right? That's not a kind of a joyful thing to think about. I'm, you know, I want to really learn patience. Uh, but that's, that's really not what he's saying. He says that when God strengthens you with power, this is something that God does in you to work through you. Okay, so two things are going to happen. You're going to have patience, he says, and you're going to have long-suffering. Now, patience has to do with problems. Long-suffering has to do with people. So when we think about this idea, how do we deal with issues? How do we we deal with difficult things that come into our life? Uh, God, you know, we may have these questions, why are you doing this? Or God, why is this happening? We have these questions. Here's what Paul's getting at. In order to, to, to live the Christian life, uh, God is going to fill us with his power to do his will. Okay, He's going to fill us with his power to do his will. And you may be sitting here wondering, yes, but you, I don't think you've really answered the question. Uh, the question that we asked at the very beginning is, how do I know the will of God for my life? That's what we want to know. How, how do I know if I'm going the right way? How do I know if I'm on the right path? Uh, you know, we got a very unexpected blessing uh, about a year ago in the form of a child, all right? Uh, Braylon, and he has just been a joy, and he is growing up so fast, and uh, he is just so much fun, and uh, we love him. Uh, but one of the things that he's learned is he's learned... Uh, who mom and dad are. He knows our voice and he knows my voice. Uh, Just last week, uh, Leslie was getting ready for this nursery meeting. And so during church, uh, I snuck out and went over there to try to help her with things and get set up. And so I I went through the nursery door knowing that Braylon was going to be in there playing. And I didn't want him to see me because I knew, okay, if he sees me, he's going to, he's going to cry. He's going to want dad. And I don't want to do that to the nursery workers. So I'm going to open the door, and I'm going to hug the wall and make sure that he does not see me. And it worked, almost. Okay? So I, I come in, and I look over into the nursery, and I can't see Braylon, so obviously he can't see me. But something happened. One of the nursery workers asked me a question. I'm not even thinking. Okay? So I'm over here against the wall, and I, answer, I start to answer the question, and I'm just talking to them. Braylon starts crying. Why? Because he hears my voice. He knows my voice. Uh, just uh, yesterday at the, or maybe Friday at the marriage retreat, uh, Nancy had uh, Nancy Bowman was holding Braylon in the back, and there were all you know lots of people in the room. And uh, I went up to do a mic check, and um, so I just had the mic and turned it on. Check one, two. Check, check. Nancy told me later, hit, as soon as I said that, his head just whipped around and he's looking. Why? Because he knows his dad's voice. He, he hears my voice and he knows that it's me. And I, I love that. And that's such a precious thing. And you guys have experienced that too if you have kids. But I think about that illustration. And, you know, I think the reason some of you don't know the will of God for your life is because you don't know the voice of the Father. You maybe haven't spent time in the Word. Maybe you're not in the habit of, of really daily just being, just sitting with the Lord, silence and solitude, and no rush, no distractions, just sitting with Him and reading and, and, and praying. Uh, and so when God speaks, you can't determine the difference between the competing voices of the world and the voice of your Heavenly Father. You can't tell the difference because you're maybe not in the habit of being in the Word. So the answer to the question, it, it may not be the one you want to hear. But I really believe it is the answer. How, how do you know the will of God? It's by getting in the Word. It's, it's learning to hear His voice. Uh, there are no shortcuts in a relationship with God. You, can't, you, you, know, you can delegate a lot of things in your life. Uh, but you cannot delegate your personal time with the Lord. Uh, you, you, you must have, it is so important. And as Pastor says so often, that you have a daily, meaningful time with the Lord. Uh, no one can do that for you. Uh, you have to set a time. And, and here's the benefit once you get in the Word and the Word gets into you, once you start hearing the, the voice of God, you begin to have wisdom, you begin to have understanding. Uh, where not only do you bear fruit, but uh, you increase in knowledge, as the Bible says. And then a result of that is we begin to walk in a way that would please him. We walk in a worthy manner. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of life that I really want to live. And I'm sure you do, too. I'm sure we could all go around the room and say, you know, I, I do want that for my life. Fully pleasing, a life fully pleasing to God. You know, the will of God is not tomorrow, it's today. I asked the question earlier, you know, when we typically think about the will of God, what do we think about? We always think about the future. But, you know, I really believe this. We we need to stop worrying so much, especially, you know, young people about, you know, where where am I going to go to college? Like, what am I going to do? And these are big questions. They really are. What, what, What are you going to do to make money and support a family one day? Maybe who am I going to marry? These are big questions, but stop thinking about those big questions and just do what you're supposed to do today. You just obey God today. You live for him today. You read his word today. You pray today. You be in a right relationship with him today. And when tomorrow comes, you're going to know the answer to those questions, why? You're, you're not scrambling, trying to figure out, oh man, I need to know the will of God. You're, you're already in the practice of daily knowing him, loving him, listening to him. And so when God brings a person across your path, you don't have to wonder. You just know, this is who God has for me. God get, God brings an opportunity across your path. You don't have to sit there and Think through pros and cons. and No, you just know, okay, the Spirit of God wants me to do this or doesn't want me to do this. And so it's all about the will of God is really just about today. You do what's right today. Obey Him today. Live for Him today. And so I want to challenge you this morning with this as we close. You know, maybe the next step for you is to just set aside a time. Maybe you have to go to bed earlier so you can wake up earlier. But set aside a time to get in the word until the word gets into you and sit there until you get something from him and just get into this daily habit, this routine, not reading books about God, although those are good, but making sure that, Hey, this is, I'm really having a time with the Lord and, and he's ministering to me and he's helping me. This is how, you know, the will of God it's found in his word. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we,